the fourth week of Advent reminds us of the peace that only God can give. Peace that was born in a manger and is offered to all. Christmas is coming quickly now. Emmanuel is nearly here again. In this week to come, take a moment to stop. Listen. To hear beyond the carols, beyond the commercials, behind your mind saying, I must hurry now, there's much to do. Take a moment each day to listen for the word of God spoken in your life to you and for you this week. It may come from the Bible. It may come out of the mouth of a child. If we listen, we will hear God. Please join me in this responsive reading as you together recite the words following the word all on the screen. God's love comes wrapped as a baby. The ordinary conceals the extraordinary. God is with us. God knows us. God is with us, revealed in us. His name is Emmanuel. God's love is coming to us. God's love is with us again and again with us. Emmanuel, God with us. May our souls be filled with the light of life, with the peace of Christ, and may the joy of love bless you each day and every night as we look expectantly towards Christmas Eve. May the blessing of God, the giver of Emmanuel, fill all of our hearts. Amen and amen.
Amen. Aren't you glad for the moments that God just shows up to talk to us? Amen. Give him praise. Give him praise. Well, I had about an hour and a half worth of stuff prepared. So I'm feeling pretty good here. And, uh, you know, when you need to go, go ahead and I'll quit when I'm finished. Wednesday night, I want to take a moment to talk about this. Wednesday night, I taught on divine healing and have had more questions come up out of that teaching than anything I've taught on in a long time. So I want to revisit that and answer some of those questions as part two to our fundamental truth on divine healing. Um, For instance, I don't think we have any clue as what it means to pray in Jesus' name. I don't think we have any understanding of what mustard seed faith is. I don't think we have any understanding of how to operate in the supernatural. And so I want to address those questions in the context of divine healing. And if you want to be part of that, uh, come this Wednesday night and we'll take some time to explore that. All right, second, I've had almost as many questions asked about the Advent wreath. And I know there are a lot of ways that it's done in a variety of places, but I wanted to explain why we do that. I do think there's value in traditions, and in the evangelical church, we've rejected the liturgy, but in doing so, we've lost the rhythms of the historic church. And the Advent wreath was started, um, the candles go back to about 400 AD, to recognize that there are moments that we should pause and, and reflect on what God has done. The two big events on the church calendar are what? Advent and Lent. The birth of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. So did we light them in the wrong order? Uh, No, we didn't. And so I want to explain that to you. Big question people have asked. Oh, by the way, how did the wreath get started? In the 1800s, a German pastor wanted to help children remember how to give thanks during Advent. And so he glued candles onto a cartwheel, a wagon wheel, and then big candles on each Sunday. So Advent links to Lent this way. Purple was not biblically, this is church tradition. And we don't practice much of that, but there's some value sometimes in recognizing that and identifying with the historic church, not just the contemporary evangelical movement. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I think there's value in that. And part of that is that purple in the liturgical church represents penance, um, prayer, and suffering. But in the middle of that, there's the pink candle that was the color of joy. So during Lent, when there's the days of fasting and prayer, right in the middle of Lent, there's a pink Sunday that we don't celebrate, but a pink Sunday that you pause from the pain and, and, uh, and penance to celebrate. And to connect that with Advent, in the middle of the celebrations is the pink candle that represents joy. Okay, does that make sense? And it's right in the middle because we have four, and and they can be anything, they can be named anyway. But the first week we talked about the preparation of hope. And the second week, the pursuit of love. The third week then is right in the middle, the presence of joy. And the last is peace as a possession. So you have two weeks, joy, then peace, and then we celebrate the Christ candle. And it's just a way to visually demonstrate that. It's not anything deeper than that or more spiritual than that. And if your tradition, you did all white candles, it's fine with me if you do it wrong. No, I mean, if you did it a different way, you do it however you want. We can have whatever candles you want. We can have green and red and whatever. But this is a way for me to say, those of you that have had this in your history, I think the evangelical church cast off too many of the traditions. 
that connect us to the rhythms of the church that I think are important for us to not miss some of the important doctrines. So we do a little bit with Lent and then at Advent because Advent isn't about getting your Christmas gifts. It's about remembering that he came and that he's coming again. And I think that's a healthy emphasis. And so that's why we do that. That's why there's three purple, one pink. It's the third of the five candles. So it's right in the middle. That in the middle of Advent, we don't forget to celebrate joy. Okay, hope that helps. That's why we do that. And um, if, um, if you don't like it, just wear sunglasses and don't look at it. But we're just gonna have some fun with it. So this morning is about peace. And that is the message of Advent. A great company of the heavenly hosts appeared, to the, appeared with the angel and said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to men on whom God's favor rests. Peace is what came to us at Advent at the birth of Christ. And in John chapter 14, Jesus makes peace our possession. I want you to see peace not as something you move in and out of, but something that you own. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let it be afraid. So that proclamation of peace came with the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's a prophetic word about the birth of Jesus that we lift out of its context and I think lose some of the important significance of why it came. And that's in Isaiah chapter 7. We've all heard this. We quote it. We sing about it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give you a son or give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. The virgin will be with child. Well, when you read chapter 7, you think, what in the world does that have to do with the birth of Christ? Because it is a tough chapter. But I think when you dig into the context, it makes it a more powerful sign of the coming of Christ. Here's what's happening. Ahaz is leading the kingdom of Judah. The nation of Israel has been divided to the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And Israel has joined with a pagan king to try to conquer Judah and take authority over Jerusalem and drive Ahaz out. And Ahaz is worried about that. And Isaiah comes to him with his son, whose name means the remnant shall return. So he comes to talk to him about this battle that, that Ahaz is worried about, that they're going to lose the kingdom to Israel and a pagan nation and be destroyed. And in that, God speaks to him about God's promise. And what you find happening in Isaiah chapter 7 is this. Isaiah begins talking to Ahaz. And in this prophetic word that comes, it shifts. He's no longer talking to Ahaz, but he's talking to the house of David. What does that mean? It means that God has a promise to Israel and he will always defend his city. And the prophecy basically is saying a remnant will return. Here's how you can have peace. Here's how you can have victory. Let me tell you this about peace. Peace never comes by avoidance or acquiescence. Peace always comes by strength. You cannot have peace by avoiding the problem or acquiescing to the difficulty. When you win the victory, then you can live in peace. And so this promise comes, here's a sign to you, and we'll get into what that means in a little bit. 
But the other thing you have to understand in Old Testament prophecy is there is often a near fulfillment in the moment, a spiritual application to the church, and third, a future prophecy concerning the future of the nation of Israel. And all of that happens in that verse. So here's what happens. In the middle of a time of uncertainty and war where it looks like certain defeat, God says, I will not forget my people. And here's a sign that I'll give you victory and peace. What is that sign? In the midst of attack, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. And in this journey, I believe there's a revelation of how to walk in peace. And I just feel constrained to say this right now, just in case there are questions in your mind. You say, well, that was kind of interesting that there was that kind of move of God and you're gonna preach about peace, did you manufacture that? No, because we have church all the time. But there was a presence of God moving on those that need peace this morning. And now the word of God is gonna give you the direction you need to continue to walk in that. I didn't plan that or orchestrate that. The Holy Spirit moved in the house and that's what Pentecostals do. We respond to the moving of God's spirit. So what are the injunctions for you to continue to walk in the peace of God. The first is found in chapter seven, verse four. Now remember, the sign came in the midst of impending doom. God is going to give a sign and a promise of victory and peace. The Lord says to Isaiah, uh, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out with your son Shir Jashub to meet Ahaz and tell him this. Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. If you're gonna live in the supernatural peace of God, number one, you have to make a commitment to not lose heart. Now I've said, and you've heard me say, I don't believe you can lose your salvation in this sense. You don't wake up one morning and wonder, I wonder where it went, like losing your keys. You can forfeit it, you can walk away from it, but it doesn't just disappear. However, it is true that you can lose heart. You can be walking along, living your life, and all of a sudden recognize that you've lost your confidence and you don't know where it went. Is there anyone in the house? You've lost your assurance. Where did that go? What happened? And the word lose heart means to be tenderhearted, to be weak, fearful, soft. And being tenderhearted isn't always a bad thing. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, will be rewarded because he has a tender heart toward God. But you need to not have a tender heart toward the devil or toward sin or toward things that destroy. How can we make sure we don't lose heart? Three things in that section. Number one, you need to be careful, which means to be aware, be on guard, and give care to something or protect it. Do you want to walk in peace? Then be careful. There are things that will destroy your peace. Don't do those. Second, it says to keep calm. Now, I did read on Facebook and this is really bad marriage advice. Said husband, if your wife gets really upset, look at her and tell her to just stay calm. She has no reason to be upset. <laughs> that really is the day before your funeral. <laughs> Don't, have you ever walked up to someone and said, just be calm, and they accepted that? It kind of, inf it kind of fuels it, doesn't? Calm down, I'll show you calm. 
but you can say it to yourself. There are times you would avoid a lot of trouble if you just look in the mirror and say, calm down. That's a choice. Don't give me that garbage that you're subject. Well, they did this and I'm subject to my circumstances. No, it's a choice. If you don't want to lose heart, be careful with what you're feeding on, what's happening around you. Be calm and don't be afraid. If you could not uh, choose to not be afraid, the Bible wouldn't tell us that. But it does say over and over again, don't be afraid. Reject that. Cast that down. I walked in the other night, Saturday night, coming in the auditorium. The team assumed no one was in the building and set the alarms. I walked in here, the alarms went off. Here's what I thought. Somebody just broke into the building and I'm going to die. <laughs> but you have to choose to not be afraid. And I thought, I wish I were packing tonight. <laughs> and then I said to myself, no, I am not going to be afraid. I think I broke into the building. <laughs> and we reset the alarms. Hear me, it's a choice. If you don't want to lose heart, then you need to be careful you need to calm down, quiet your spirit, and don't be afraid. And I wasn't joking when I said, when I get all riled up and wound up, um, I'll go to a song about peace and begin to sing that. And there's something powerful about reminding yourself, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, with fathomless billows of love. It's a possession that Jesus gave to you. One commentator said the greatest gift Jesus gave to the church is in John 14 when he gave us peace coming down from the Father above. And if you don't want to lose your peace, then don't lose heart. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Second, in Isaiah 7, verse 9, stand firm in your faith. Don't lose heart. Stand firm in your faith. Here's what Isaiah says to Ahaz. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That's a choice. To stand or to sit or to give up, to stand firm. So here's what I want to tell you. There are a lot of things out there that will cause you to question your faith. And I don't believe you check your brain at the door. Don't misunderstand me. But I don't believe you're going to win when you dialogue with the devil and have conversations about what you believe. Sometimes you need to just say, no, that is not what I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that God is the authority over all his creation. I believe the word of God is true. And I don't care what the world says or anybody else says or what they make fun of. I know that Jesus is my my savior he lives in my heart and once in a while you ought to stomp your foot and say I refuse to give in to doubt I'm going to stand firm in my faith I'm going to stand firm in my faith 
Ahaz, if you don't stand firm, you won't stand at all. You see, God's promises to us are conditional. He will never fail, but there's always a part that we play. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. When you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. There's a correlation between what we do and what God does. The water didn't part for Israel till they put their feet in or waved the staff or did some other action that showed that they trusted God. Scripture calls us to stand firm. Now, there is no room in the kingdom <coughs> for wishy-washy believers. Sometimes, sometimes I just want to say, did God forget to give you a backbone? Grow one. You need to be healed. Is there anyone in the house? Come on, stand your ground. I don't know if he loves me. He died on the cross this, and said, I love you this much. What more do you need? His word declares it. It's not about what you think or feel. It's what the word says. Stand firm. Are you hearing me this morning? Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in what is right. Stand firm in what is true. People say, well, you're kind of bullheaded. Absolutely I am. I am not going to trade the truth of God for a lie. I'm not going to entertain false teaching. I'm going to fight to the death for what I know is the truth. And then they'll say, well, what about all these other religions? Well, they're all wrong. Because there is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one Savior who died and rose from the dead that is attested to by hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. And you can believe some golden plates. You can believe some other uh, um, pablum that someone else has dished to you. Or you can believe what was demonstrated, governed over by the Spirit and handed to us through the prophets of God and say, I refuse to waver. Are you, do you want peace? Stand firm or you will fall. Stand firm. This week, when thoughts or trouble come against you, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Stand firm in your faith. The promise of Bethlehem requires that you stand firm. Now third, believe, watch this, believe when you don't understand. This is a weird part of the story. Now stay with me. I've done all this to get here and then we're gonna be done and you'll get out in time to get your coffee. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. It didn't say Isaiah did. It said the Lord did. The Lord spoke through Isaiah to Ahaz. Ask the Lord for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. And Ahaz said, I will not ask I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Pause there for a moment. Now, I want you to watch what we've talked about so far. He's already told him, don't lose heart. He's already told him, stand firm in your faith. And then he says, put God to the test. Ask for a sign. And it's here that Isaiah says, hear now, you house of David. Is it 
not enough to try the patience of men, we try the patience of my God also. Ask for a sign. Ahaz is called to ask for a sign. Now, he doesn't do it on his own. But let's pause for a minute and understand why this matters. Ahaz, you're worried that I am, here's what he's worried about, really. That God's promise to defend Jerusalem isn't true. That God's promise to protect a remnant isn't true. Judah's going to fall and Jerusalem is going to fall. And he said, I want to give you a sign so that you will know. And why did that sign matter? Because in this moment, God had ordained that this would be a faith crossroad, that he would give a sign to Ahaz that would be a sign to all generations that God keeps his promises, that he will have a remnant, that he will take care of his own, that he will honor his word. Ask for anything you want to ask. So I'd say to you, don't play the spiritual card with God. Don't do that. If God speaks to you to do something, don't argue yourself out of it, just obey it. Now let me tell you what he won't ask you to do. He'll never ask you to do anything that's sin. But he will ask some things that will change your perspective. Do you remember when Peter was on the rooftop? They had dietary laws and they couldn't eat creepy crawlers. And God gives him a revelation of all these things he can't eat and says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. If God says it, and it's not a violation of divine law, the Ten Commandments, then listen to what he's saying and what he's trying to teach you and respond in obedience because God says, don't ever call what I've cleansed unclean there's a new day coming so with the nation he says I want you to ask for a sign make it as big as you want as broad as you want if God asks you to do it you're not in rebellion if you do it but if you are wavering in your faith you'll talk yourself out of it instant obedience is where victory comes obeying what God has said, and he will never speak contrary to his word, but he may stretch your understanding of his word. Do not tempt the Lord your God. We're told in the Old Testament, Jesus quotes it in the New. Yes, it's true that we should not tempt the Lord our God. How did they tempt him when that scripture came to pass? They're wandering in the wilderness and they're in need of water. And they say to them, is the Lord among us or not? And when you're saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's when you're tempting God because you're questioning his word. But he said, you won't obey. I'll give you one other. Well, it's not time for that one. Let me just explain it this way. When God said to Ahaz, ask for a sign, he should either have said, I will receive whatever sign you give or ask for something and let God direct him as he did with Solomon. But his refusal to ask for a sign is a declaration of his unbelief. You say, well, then can I ask God for signs? Did he tell you to? No. Most of the time we ask for a sign, it's our unbelief. Come on, we already know what he wants to do. We just don't want to obey it. I'm not telling you to ask for signs. I'm saying when he tells you to do something, just do it. Just do it. Obey it. Instant obedience. 
I had a situation this week that my mind told me to do one thing and God told me to do another. And what he told me to do, which involved texting someone, didn't make sense to me. But I've learned a long time ago that it's not my rationale that will win the day. It's his direction that will win the day. And I went to text in my own wisdom. And I'm just telling you, my hands were restrained. I couldn't do it until I submitted to what he was asking me to do. Is anyone hearing me this morning? When you don't understand what God has said, I mean, you can go to counselors, you can talk to other leaders, you can compare it with the word of God, but when he says it, you need to obey it. I received an email, Facebook message actually, that one of our Sons of God young men attending one of our Sons of God Bible colleges said that his professors told him that Psalm and Proverbs are on the same par with music from Taylor Swift. That guy should be removed, number one. But I'm not going to believe a moron in a Bible classroom in one of our colleges. I'm not insulting. He's a spiritual moron. So you don't want to know the other words I'm thinking. Because the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So don't tell me that the word of God isn't true. Have enough courage to stand up and obey what God has said. Are you hearing me? Do you want to have peace? Then don't lose heart. Stand firm in your faith and obey what God tells you to do. And if you will do those three things, then God will give you the strength that you need to overcome and to be victorious. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Here's what I want you to understand. Peace is your possession. Peace comes from victory, not surrender. Don't lose heart. Stand firm in your faith and believe beyond your understanding. And God's peace on earth will be poured on you as one upon whom his favor rests. That sign, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call him Emmanuel came in the middle of war to say, you can have victory, and out of your victory, I will give you peace. Let's stand together, and let's take some time to close this service by worshiping the Lord together. Emmanuel Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Sing that last part, God with us. God with us. Revealing us. His name is peace of God rule in your hearts. The babe in Bethlehem was prophesied in a time of warfare that would bring peace. Don't lose heart, child of God. Stand firm in your faith and obey what he says and you'll walk in the peace of God. Amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. We serve a great God. We serve a wonderful God. And uh, thank you for your financial support all through the year, even during holiday time when you're buying gifts. Thank you so much for your kindness and your financial support. And don't forget, just so that you know, um, next Sunday is Christmas. We're going to have one service on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock to 9.45. All the kids will be in here. We'll do a kid's sermon. We'll start to say, someone said, why would you have church on Christmas? Why would you not? Why would you not? I mean, it's a Jesus birthday. I don't, I don't know. We will abbreviate it to make room for your traditions, but uh, we'll gather together. But on, uh, on Saturday, we're going to have a grand time as well in, our, um, in our, our Christmas Eve celebrations. Four and 515. So come bring a friend. Wonderful, wonderful time together. Amen. God bless you. Walk in the peace of God and be a blessing to somebody today. Amen.